Right, welcome to Gold Digging, a podcast where we dig for nuggets of gold from friends and family of Stephen Webster. And uh, today I'm super, super excited um, to have as my guest, my very, very good friend and, and a hero of mine, uh, Dr. John Cooper Clark. Hello, Stephen. <laughs> Hello, Amy. <laughs> Hello. We, we've just received our copy of your memoir, I Want to Be Yours. And uh, over the last 48 hours, I've pretty much done it cover to cover. And uh, it's like one of those things where you feel you know people, but of course, you, you don't, you don't, you're not them. So there's always something to discover. So I've, I've really enjoyed prepping for this this podcast and and just reading the book congratulations oh thanks Stephen. thank you it's great to have it out yeah i i mean i believe that that this sort of lockdown period gave you the chance to really get stuck in on the memoir didn't it that's right really uh, yeah it's, uh, uh, events uh, uh, went in my favor as it happens and so uh, in the first place, it wasn't so good. I had to kiss off a load of work, as you can imagine. But uh, had the epidemic not taken place, I don't think I would have finished it yet. No, well, there you go. So <laughs> we can be grateful for that. I mean, plus, you've got a new book of poetry, which I believe is your first one for some decades. So this is really trying to... This is really reaping the rewards of, of a shutdown, isn't it? So, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, you're talking about the luckiest guy alive. The there. luckiest guy alive, which which that's is right. a not only the title of the book but a brilliant poem. Yeah, it's a good poem. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it does have a poem that gives the book its title. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, uh, inspired by uh, a song called "I Can't Get Started." Who's that by? Right. Uh, and it's a, it's about a guy that's got it all. Because <laughs> they've all covered it, you know, Ella Fitzgerald, Sinatra, Mel Thorne, you name it, Barry Como, Dean, everybody's covered it. It's a great song. And it, the first the first verse goes, I've travelled the world in a plane. I have travelled, I'll sing it, it's easier. <laughs> I have travelled the world in a plane. Settled revolutions in Spain. The North Pole I have charted. Still I can get started with you. And the next, the next bit's great. <laughs> on the golf course, I'm under par. Let's all go when want me to start. I got a house, it's a show place. Still, I ain't getting no place with you. Oh, brilliant. Great I, song. It's, I, like, it's about the, how you can't put happiness in a cage. No. It is by its very nature a fleeting thing. Do you... So it's like the, so it's thematically it's very similar to the luckiest guy alive, just waiting for the trouble to arrive. Well, there's there's a there's a line in there the uh, on the golf course I'm under par. That's, that's in the poem as well, isn't it? It's in there, yeah. That yeah, 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 there, that's yeah, right. yeah. As is, and that I love that line, that bit. I got a house. It's a show place. I've got that in another poem <laughs> called uh, Dream Home Ghetto. <laughs> oh yeah, I know that one. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So, do you consider yourself to be a lucky guy? Uh, do I feel myself to be a yeah, sure thing, and then some? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. lucky guy, yeah. So is there, there's no irony in that title at all. No, there isn't. I know it's amazing because, yeah. like I say, reading the, the long career that you've had and, and where, where you are today... I'd say you were fucking lucky <laughs> to have made it this far. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so I just want to say that it's, um, you know, people say you should never meet your heroes. Um, and to be honest, I think those people are full of shit. They probably didn't stand a chance of meeting their heroes because, uh, because having met a few of mine, you, you included... My heroes have never let me down. I mean, they're they're amazing people, and um, I, I've, I've never been disappointed. No, it's true, and I mean, you know, one of my other heroes who I met a very similar time to you, even though he played a big part of my life, the same as you had from my teenage years, without you knowing it, was Mick Jones, and of course, he's a good friend of yours as well, and uh, yeah. he's a fella who never lets you down. No, so, yeah. All right, well, cool. So um, I'm going to probably start sounding like you. I know that's going to happen while, <laughs> while we get through this. I can feel it already. You're going to start sounding I, like me. I know, I am, yes. So no, maybe. I do that. No, I'm the one who does that. Yeah, well, I know I am. I, I always finish up like, yeah, I, I, I do it a lot. I mean, I've lived in Essex how long? 30 years. Yeah, right. Well, I can't help it. <laughs> So, um, I just want to fit in. You just want to fit in. You yeah, do I've fit in. Yeah, that movie, that Zelik. Yeah. Woody Allen, 1970s. Zelik. Zelik. I think, it's, I think it's based on an old Yiddish folk tale. And it's about a guy who turns into whoever he's talking to. Oh, my God, I missed that. <laughs> he made some amazing <laughs> films at that time, didn't he? Really, yeah, really it? good ones. Yeah, it was a really good one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But my favourite Broadway Debbie. Yeah, one. that was excellent. I That's loved the that. Best. Yeah. Me, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't go so well with their relationship, but they were both great in that film. They were great. They were both of their finest hour. Yeah. For the both of them, wasn't it? Um, absolutely. So, look, before we get into the women of your life, I'm not going to spend too long on your very early years, but I can't, like, not, uh, you know, pay some homage to. So, you know, uh, Salford in the 1950s, I imagine, was not a hotbed of budding poets uh, or, or any or any such nonsense. Um, it was, I didn't know about no, it. <laughs> no, I, um, I love the advice that you said you got from your parents. Don't get a bike and don't become a poet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't become a professional poet, yeah. Yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. But the, the one thing it did have, which, which uh, you've, you've, you've almost already introduced it, was it had a lot of movie houses, and, uh, and movies, um, I suppose, offers us an escape. But you, you were really obsessed, weren't you, with the movies and what that offered? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the time it was uh, it was pre-TV in the in the case of our our house. So uh, yeah, amazing. Um, it, and you could, but if you purchased one ticket, it entitled you to be in there all day. So what for the same film, or they had yeah, like so a whole program? See it, see it three times if you if it, you know if it was good enough, or you know if you just. Uh, 
That was you amazing. Know, reason. Perry so I became God. very conversed. You know, the di- I remember whole chunks of dialogue of movies. I know, and you remember yeah. every actor and every song <laughs> yeah, and every producer. And I'm telling you, I mean, I know just recently I referred to you as the memory stick. And uh, <laughs> there couldn't be a more apt name for you. I, it's like you have total recall. And, um, and go- going back to those times, I know that this is not just stuff for the book. Because when you've sat in my front room, it doesn't matter who's there, you seem to be able to just go off on one and you've not forgotten anything you've ever learned. No, I suppose not. No, I haven't forgotten. I don't forget shit. No. No. <laughs> but those, those early days, so the movies, and then, and then out of that, your first real hero was Elvis, wasn't it? Yeah. So, so what was that about? Well, I mean, uh, he, he was, uh, he invented the world that, we now know, <laughs> really. But I think some people, you know, I think Elvis, I was, I like rock and roll and that, you know, uh, to be honest, you know, Bill, like most people, Bill Ailey was my first sort of taste, bit of Fats Domino, uh, you know, my first taste of rock and roll. But uh, Elvis, I, I, saw, I saw in his first film, I think that's when I first sort of uh, heard, heard and seen Elvis, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a visual thing all at once. The big, you know, what he looked like and what he sounded like and, you know, what he did with the song was just, a, you know, it was all at once before I ever heard any of his records, you know. And Love Me Ten, I went to see that film. And, uh, you know, the cowboy picture, I like them. And, uh, and you know, Elvis was uh, ter- terrific in that. So it, it, it's not really a musical. He only really sings three songs in it. But, you know, you get the message, all right. So, but I think he invented, you know, the, it was just like a, a total uh, immersion course in uh, in uh, Elvis. So, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't talk the guy up enough, really. No. And, and, and I think some, some guy, you know, I, I like rock and roll, but I think Elvis is bigger than rock and roll. Looking like that, with a voice like that. Oh, yeah, I Whether know. rock and roll had ever happened or not, you know, Elvis would have been, uh, you know, the king of the... Uh, King of the world. Did, did you ever feel that he was being pressured into making all those, some of them, let's face it, crappy movies? No, that I were, think they're great. I, I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I don't agree with you. No, they right. were great. All right. They were great. I mean, Blue Hawaii, you know, to see that on a wet, on a wet Wednesday in Higher Broughton. Yeah, all right. You know, to see a film like Blue Hawaii was just fabulous beautiful locations terrific colour millions of fabulous looking chicks yeah pun shots yeah great cars <laughs> fabulous clothes and Elvis 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 I don't think he ever made a bad film okay fair enough I'm not going to say another <laughs> word uh, I'm only but going by know, what I read <laughs> when I went to Graceland's <laughs> You see, you've got that one over me, actually, Stephen. I've not been to uh, Graceland. It, it, it was on the it was on the cards as well before the uh, epidemic. You know, uh, I was starting to plan a, a trip uh, stateside with with me and Evie. We we're just going to get a train, an open-ended ticket train. We're going to get get on the train at Grand Central Station and make our way down to Memphis. 
finish up at Graceland, you know, stopping off in between, you know, in, you know, Boise, Idaho or whatever. Well, Nashville, you've got to stop in Nashville. Have you been to Nashville? Yeah, Nashville, there, yeah, that was, that was on the cards. All one of these luxury trains, you know, a, yeah. a martini in the club car oh, and yeah. all that. Well, they have a yeah, double-decker. That, 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 to me, would have been, it was my dream holiday, but then the epidemic came, and uh, <coughs> that's really the only inconvenience. Well, <laughs> it's brought uh, <laughs> to me, actually. Touch wood. Touch that's wood. massive, though. I'm the I'd luckiest say. guy alive. Yeah. The worst thing that's happened to me is uh, my dream holiday has been postponed. You know, it's not. It, this will this will end. You'll get on that train. I'm actually. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what victory looks like to me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you the got train, it. The train trip to Memphis. You you have enough time on the train from uh, from Grand Central to Memphis. You got time for more than one martini. Oh you yeah, yeah. Definitely but get a martini. Off, but, but stopping off in you know Middle America. Yeah. You know, I really fancy that. Just nowhere places, you know, just liquor, a liquor store and a church. Well, I'm, you know, I've got lots of experience of that myself. You know, Having done like 17 years' worth of road trips, I think I've seen, I, I know that liquor store. Absolutely. You've done that. You've done yeah. That. Yeah. But you like, you like being a passenger, don't you? You don't like flying. You like being a no, passenger. No, I'd, I'd, if I, I'd go anywhere in a car if I could. Yeah. In fact, when I get when I get there, I won't want to get out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love being in that <laughs> Yeah. Well, the funny thing about Graceland <laughs> is it it feels a bit like that, you know, because the uh, I managed to get a VIP visit and uh, there's a car park. And, uh, and all, you know, your regular mortals have to park in the car park. But because I had this old 1959 Thunderbird and a VIP ticket, I was waved on through and I was able to park right at the facade outside those sort of Roman columns of Graceland. Yeah. yeah. So I never really left my car because going into the place... I know exactly where you mean, yeah, yeah. because... There's a great picture of Elvis next to his, his first Cadillac. Cadillac, that's right. Out in that very place, under, in between the pillar, the pillars and the and the front door. Yeah. Well, anyway, I've got one of those also. But you know, it's funny. I wasn't an Elvis fan, hence I I'm sorry about the the negativity about the movies. But when I went and I like I say, I got this VIP pass and I and the woman. Uh, her father had worked for Elvis and she'd sort of been brought up really around Graceland and she said, do you want the one-hour tour or the three-hour tour? Uh, and no, no, the two-hour or the four-hour. That's right, the two-hour or the four-hour. And I said, can I have a one-hour? And I could see that that was already rude, but I came out four hours later and I was blown away. Blown it, away. it, it yeah, was yeah. just an amazing story that took four hours. And I'm glad I, you know, got over glad myself and enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I, I would always ask Stephen to anybody that's been uh, Graceland, and uh, I haven't got the result a result yet. But what was what was the last uh, record on Elvis's turntable? Oh God! <laughs> uh, hang on a minute. Is it something like a gospel choir? I don't know, I've no oh. idea, it's not a trick question, it's not a rhetorical question, but I've never had an answer. Everybody I know that's ever been to Graceland 
What's amazing is that things like Grammys and, and all the awards, they sort of passed Elvis by, except for he got something for singing with a gospel choir, which is why I asked you if that was if that was the, the record on the turntable. I, I don't know exactly the facts, but it's something like that, that he didn't really get that recognised by the industry. I mean, he had platinum and gold and all that, but from a... The kind of, you know, the Grammy type awards. He only got one, I think, and it was with this uh, choir. I think movies and reading. Reading was uh, played a big part in your childhood. And your mums, I think, you were both big readers. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and um, actually, something that was very funny. You 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 refer to Mad Magazine and all, oh, yeah, all yeah. and such, uh, which maybe you'd say, well, that would be expected. But you also managed to pick up, which I'd never heard of before, these kind of magazine sort of pricey versions of the classics of sort of Jules Verne, Dostoevsky. Yeah. Victor Hugo. <laughs> yeah, you've never heard of these. I had heard of them, but Classic I'm thinking you were 12 years old, you're going around being able to quote from the, the classic. Dostoevsky. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they were comics. They were, just, <laughs> they were comics, but, you know, the story was there, you know. I know, amazing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, amazing, yeah, the three musketeers, all the classics. Around, well, hence the clue is in the name, Classic Illustrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't yeah, know yeah, but, uh, you know, Serrano de Bergerac. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Moby Dick, that was, that was one Moby of Moby Dick, well. yeah, great. Yeah, As a comic. It'd be a great comic. It's very visual. Yeah, great comic. Yeah, well, I suppose Three Musketeers. Well, everything by Jules Verne. I mean, I loved Jules Verne as a writer yeah, when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, the centre of the earth, so. 20,000 leagues. Yeah. Did he do 20,000 leagues under the sea? Yep. Yeah. yeah that was Captain Nemo. Yeah. Captain Nemo, yeah. So, um. I remember the covers to this day. So, the giant squid. <laughs> the giant squid, yeah. <laughs> That's definitely not in Moby Dick. That's Jules Verne, yeah. It's so, a great yeah. movie, wasn't it, with uh, Kirk Douglas? I know it was a really great movie with Kirk Douglas in that. In the, I forget the name of the the uh, the submarine. That wasn't uh, the uh, Nautilus. Nautilus, that's right. Yeah, I should have remembered that. Anyway, there was uh, trouble afoot. So obviously that's leading into where you were going, but also you were really fashion conscious from an early age. I believe. Maybe not as early as when you were running around quoting Dostoevsky and uh, his such, but... <laughs> but um, well, even then, no, even then I was a bit particular. That, that seems like you were starting that from things like watching the early Bond films. Well, I read the books first. You know, I'd, I'd read the books about five years before the first Bond movie, to, to be honest. Uh, so I was dead surprised when it... And it was also it was a, it was a three-frame strip in the Daily Mail or the Daily Express, I think, uh, James Bond. And uh, so when Dr. No came out, I was really ready for that, you know, and uh, blew me away. The, you know, the, the Sean Connery, looking yeah. perfect look. So even to the point where you could discount his, uh, 
inappropriate Scottish brogue. <laughs> you know, he, looked, he, he just looked so right. He did look so right, didn't he? Just like the, the picture in the cartoon, the Daily Mail free strip cartoon. I, I never knew that, but maybe I'm 10 years younger than you, so I remember Rupert. Was Rupert in the... Oh, Rupert was, yeah, he was in the Express. Oh, now you're talking. He was Rupert quite well-dressed for a bear. I'm totally a Rupert guy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what so, a social life. What oh, a my God. Life that little bear had. Well, he used to get to China and stuff. Yeah, China he? had a lift. He had a lift that went right through the centre of the earth. yeah. And come out in China, didn't he? Where he was a where he was big mates thanks to Pong Ping. Yeah. Well, I it wouldn't remember. It was big mates with the emperor. Yeah. Yeah. Have they made you know, a Have they made a film of that? I think they did try. You know, no, they haven't. I'm, I'm amazed that they haven't. You know who I think would finance that if you asked him nice, Macca. Oh really? Macca's a big fan of Rupert. I oh, think. Yeah. And didn't he do the front chorus? Is that from Rupert Bear? Oh, God, you got me now. It might be, you know, the frog. Yeah, I remember the frog chorus, and I remember Macca being, <laughs> bringing that back. <laughs> but Rupert's terrific. terrific. It, it was terrific. The uh, fabulous, well, was it? Talk about it, man. Fuck Harry Potter and all that, <laughs> Lord of the Rings, you know. Fucking hell. <laughs> Rupert, the stories, man. Yeah, but the event, you know, the the events that happen in just one story is amazing. Plus, you've got them three speeds of reading it. You can read the rhyme at the top. That's right. Or the, the more the in summary, depth. Yeah. The summary under the pictures or yeah. the text. Was that unique to Rupert? Yeah, I never heard of that ever. No, I, I never heard of that any any in any other instance of that. I'm not aware of it. Wasn't and that? The pictures were great, weren't they? They were beautiful. Fantastic. Beautiful, and a lot of willow pattern plate with a bear yeah, in it. Yeah, absolutely. You're dead right, yeah. So, yeah. Let, let's, I want you to tell me then a bit about the jump then from, because you had a job, you did have a proper job, didn't you? You did an apprenticeship. Uh, or, uh, well, yeah, I had a couple, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but you didn't take to that, no? No, I was always like wanting, I always had the, you know, professional poet. Ever since I read a, a sort of, a, a, a sort of potted life story of Charles Baudelaire. Can you yeah, well, I, I, I tell you, I went, I went, I sneaked into the Rialto cinema, just opposite our house. Uh, I was underage, really, because it was a, an, what they call an X-certificate yeah. feature. So, uh, I think it was like 1961. So I was 12. But I was quite tall for me. But even so, I sneaked in on this occasion. I, I usually paid, but this time, <coughs> I, I kind of sneaked in because uh, they, they kind of knew how old I am. So uh, I went to see The Fall of the House of Usher, directed by Roger Corman okay. for, for American International Pictures. Right. And uh, he did a whole series of these Edgar Allan Poe. Flicks, the Pit and the Pen. Oh, that's right. I knew I knew that title. Of course, yeah, it was yeah, the Pit and the Pen. Yeah, the Pit and the Pen. I was, remember that. That had uh, Vincent Price in it, didn't it? Yeah, they, they, he was in every one of oh, them. Oh, he was in every one. I remember that. It was really the weird. Of, the yeah. Mask of the Red Death. And it was, was another one. had a lot of red well, lighting in it. That's it. Yeah. Great pictures, but, but the, one that, the one that I sneaked in for was The Fall of the House of Usher. I've, I don't know it. I'm going to have to look that one up. Oh, it's so terrific. It's only three pages long. Uh, what? So yeah, it's a it's short it's story. 
Yeah, the whole story, it's in, the, it's in you know, Tales of Mystery and Imagination. Yeah, yeah. And, Poe. yeah. and The Fall of the House of Usher, it's about three, four pages tops. And they made a whole film out of this. Not, not very much happens, but it's, it's a terrific, totally scared the hell out of me. Oh my <laughs> but then after seeing that, I thought, well, I'm going to re read everything he ever wrote. So I read everything. I've got Tales of Mystery and Imagination out of the library, you know, a heavy tone, but, you know, Fall of the House of Usher's in there. Most of his stories were actually a couple of pages long. Pit and the Pendulum was two or three pages, I guess. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, full of uh, description and rich imagery. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, the Fall of the House of Usher, so I was very, got very interested in him. And I, and I, I read about Edgar Allan Poe, and, and I found out that uh, his, entire, his works were, were translated in real time, you know, while he was still around. He had one champion, and his one champion was uh, Charles Baudelaire, who uh, translated his entire, all his works into French. Uh. And Charles Baudelaire, you know about Charles yeah. Baudelaire, he was like citizen poet number one. Yeah. And he was the kind of template for what I wanted to be, you know, an urban an urban poet, you know, engaged with, uh, you know, the life of, you know, living the life of the modern citizen. So your dad, he was a regular at the Wheel Tappers and Shunters social yeah. club, right? I mean, yeah. Was that was that the uh, like the, the the recording of the show or something? That's right. It wasn't an actual club. It didn't exist outside of uh, the world of TV. It didn't exist as a club. It was purely a fictional club for the benefit of this TV program. But very well done. You know, there are. It was very true to life. There are. People in the north of England would recognise that stereotypical environment without a doubt. Yeah, oh very, yeah, very, you know, I remember well it. Done. I remember it because Bernard Manning well had a following, didn't he? Already, you know, yeah. we, he was one. There was a guy in the cap who I don't remember who he was. He Colin, was... Colin Crompton. Okay, right. So... He was like a trade union official, <laughs> wasn't he? And he rang a bell, didn't he? Between yeah, he yeah, rang a bell. Though. You gave up order, please. Will the lady with his parts out front? You know, that, those sort of. He'd cut in, wouldn't he? No matter who was on. <laughs> he'd kind of ring that bell and come out with some public service request. <laughs> yeah, like like with the with the man with the Merv Shergan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but they had some real top stars on that show, though, didn't they? <laughs> Roy Orbison. Well, I remember being Roy yeah, Orbison. It was uh, it well was that unusual then? I don't know because well, it was a popular it, show. It was like. It was like being them. Um, I know it wasn't like Morecambe and Wise, but it was probably no, but at the same time. Thing. You're quite right. You're right to point that out, Stephen, because you know, uh, good or bad. I mean, it was, I thought it was a great show. You know, but I honestly didn't think it would travel outside of Manchester. No, well, it you did. Know, I, I, I couldn't. Uh, that, that blew me away. That that because it is so quintessentially northern. Uh, but uh, it did. It did. It travelled very well, apparently. It had some sort of exotic appeal south of Birmingham. Well, it and I can, I can dig that because it did have some top stars, like the Three Degrees. As I say, Royal. There you go. Royal. Yeah. <laughs> you still sound like it. <laughs> Elvis' <laughs> favourite. still can't thing. believe it. 
Elvis's favourite singer. Oh, really? Yeah. But, uh, but it was a great show, yeah, and they, but it only existed for televisual purposes. And my dad was... Uh, the thing was, that my dad and his mate, Wilf, uh, <coughs> were, were drinking pals with this guy called Jerry Nyland, who, who was a cameraman at Granada. So he got them an indefinite membership, you know, they were entitled. They oh were entitled my word, that was a gig to get, wasn't it? Yeah, fabulous. I've still got a, a bit on, on VHS, very sentimental. I've got a, a VHS where, because it used to sort of scan the audience, didn't it? That, you know, in, part of the show was, the audience were very in amongst it, weren't they? And, uh, yeah. And, and there's one or two where me, me old fella momentarily pops <laughs> up. <laughs> and you've got that on a VHS. Yeah, I have, yeah. You might yeah, want to yeah, get yeah, that transferred on something. It won't stretch. Yeah. 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 So anyway, yeah. so Bernard Manning was the first person who paid you money to do what you do, right? That's it. I'm imagining that was to be a poet. I, I don't know. What, or were you telling gags? Well, a bit of each. A bit of each. But, uh, of course, you know, I was met with uh, opposition for, at first. He wasn't very encouraging, but, but he's never... You know, face-to-face, to face, he's a lovely fella. <laughs> you know, disappoint, I hate to disappoint uh, his, <laughs> dis, uh, his uh, detractors. Well, but face-to-face, face, he was a lovely fella, and he was sort of for me all good. And, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the full story. The reason I went to, the reason I went to Burmage was... I never got no encouragement doing what I do, which I think was a good thing. It gives you something to prove, you know. And, and my dad was like, you know, keep it as a hobby, you know. Very good, but get a job. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so um, it gives you something to prove. Anyway, I fancied this chick. with this girl who was sweet on Chris Peel. It's in the book. Long story short, uh, she taught me, uh, you know, I was trying to get round her, so I bohemian shit, beating it girl, so I told her I was a poet, she impressed the hell out of her, you know, and, and, and so I've just written I Married a Monster from Outer Space, so she, she sort of liked that, because it was a, it can be seen as a sort of anti-racist thing. Oh, yeah, I was going to get to that, <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so she liked that, and anyway, I was talking to doing this, uh, not that she didn't have to talk, you know, work very hard. I got I got my first gig was reading, uh, reciting this poem, uh, uh, a benefit uh, event for a, 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 a for an emerging left wing pacifist magazine. There were several, you know, musicians, Manchester musicians, giving their services free, etc. So I did this. It went down really well. So I was all for it. So I told my dad, uh, oh, just on my first recital. Uh, he said, how much did you get? I said, no, I said, nothing. It was a benefit show, you know. Uh, everybody there was giving their services for free and me too. He said, well, anybody will empl- employ you for nothing. <laughs> so, so I thought, right, who, who would my dad recognise? So I was, now I'm emboldened. It went down very well. It, it's got the F word in it, you know, which goes over good, you know. So I thought, what, where, what would impress me dad as being a, you know, a, a, what would bring him out of my point of view about being a professional poet. Who would my dad recognise as being a potent symbol of success? A, 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 a northern male, <laughs> you know, a symbol of show, show business success. And I could only really think of Bernard Manning. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, uh, 
I, I went around the embassy club anyway, it's not my part of town, you know, there's, uh, I was shitting it really, because Collier is a really rough, it was always really, and I'm from Salford, and, but you know, where, wherever you live, however bad it is, there's always somebody somewhere worse than where you live, isn't there? Yes, that is. <laughs> you know, <sorry. laughs> well, you were in the posh end of Salford. You were in the posh end of Salford, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the odd, you're near the, yeah, the odd municipal park. Yeah. So, and, anyway, anyway, so I thought, Bernard Manning, so I went to the Embassy Club and he said, they don't like poetry here. Half of them can't fucking read. <laughs> he, he said... <laughs> you want to go to one of them colleges. You're trying to be helpful, you know. So I said, no, no, it's not nothing highfalutin like that, Mr. Manning, you know. So I give him, and I'd just written uh, Salome about the dancer. Yes, of course. You know, the Another the one of my favourites. You know the one. Of course I do. <laughs> I, can, you know the one. I can recite it if ever you need it. <laughs> Stand well, 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 <laughs> I knew that Bernard would know would know that world because he used to sing with a dance band called the Oscar Rabin Orchestra. He was a, that's how he got into show business in the first place. Uh, but that's another story. So I knew he'd know that world. So I picked out those two lines. When the ambulances came, she was lying on the deck. She fell off her stiletto wheels and broke her fucking neck. neck. <laughs> so, so, so that cracked it then. He said, all right, so, uh, very good, Matt. You know, all right, then I'll give it a go. You know, the footword and, you know, the punch up in the dance. So it, 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 and and how, how did he else. introduce you? He, he introduced you. Oh, really, he, probably, he, was, he probably introduced me something like, like this. Here he is, all the way from Iabrotten. He's not my cup of tea, but you might like him, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly how it happened, because you... you You've told me that one before. <laughs> He's not my cup of tea, but you might like it. So I'm sure there was some reaction from the crowd, wasn't there, to those well, those two particular poems? I don't know about Beasley Street. I don't know if that would have got you going. I hadn't written that then. You hadn't written that? No, right. then. I was strictly going for laughs. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, fuck word. The fuck word was always good. You know, always, you always very quiet when that come out. Well, you <laughs> don't... You, but you, the, but you, what I'm saying is that the worst thing that could happen happened, really, at the Embassy Club. I was met with sort of 60% indifference. <laughs> <laughs> and when people are indifferent, they start to talk to each other. So oh, it's not, not a matter of heckling or no. get off or anything like that. It's just indifference. It's you, if, if you're a solo, if you're a performer without mu- music, you know, if it's just if you're just a vocal performer, your biggest enemy is uh, indifference. That's got to be in it. So that's why I started introducing gags, you know, at least you know, you can sort of gauge how, what percentage of the crowd are actually listening to you by telling gags. The first time I saw you, I wasn't going to get to that bit yet, but I might as well, but the first time I saw you was in 1978, and I, I think you were supporting Elvis Costello. To be honest, the rest of the evening didn't mean much to me because I was so blown away by what I saw from you. The, uh, I, I, I remember where it was. It was in it was in Holborn. I think it was like King's College or whatever in Holborn, and uh, it was definitely 1978. I think. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and you came on, and you you you're absolutely right. There was probably 60 percent of indifference, not during your act, just to try to get their attention. 
You didn't try that hard, to be honest. You came on with a single-use plastic bag full of what looked like a load of papers that weren't connected to each other and some cans of beer. And, and I think your intro was opening a can of beer. <laughs> and, and that got the attention of a few of us. Yeah. Yeah, well, you... You, you can't try too hard. It's uh, it, th- th- that's when you've lost it. I think. I think great, great uh, bit of advice uh, I, I, I've I've had was, uh, you know, if, if you are met with, if there is a constant conversational hum, uh, which was, to be honest, unavoidable in the in the embassy club because the bar was in the same right. building yeah. as the stage, so there was always going to be a bit of a conversational hum. People want to drink, quite rightly so. So, but uh, it's, but, it's a term, but the, the worst thing you can do is uh, raise your volume. If anything, drop it. And then anybody who's interested will tell somebody to shut up. That's amazing. Because I, was, I once had commissioned you to uh, do what you do in Hicks Club in Soho. And there was some rowdiness. And uh, I just lost it with them <laughs> I, I remember afterwards you didn't even react right you just carried on and I was going round the crowd telling them to fucking shut up out of respect <laughs> I want to now move into the sort of the person that I got to know. Um, so, well, at least as, a, as an, an entertainer. Um, and it was the punk poet. You got that label. I'm sure you don't hate it. You may not. No, how could I? Yeah, exactly. Could I? Yeah, you know what? It's a bloody great, great title to be known as the punk poet. And, and I think you were introduced to the concept of punk through the Ramones just liking that music, were you? And they they sort of segued in, didn't they, into that yeah, sort of I'm... CBGB rock and roll, three-minute rock and roll into what became punk. That's right, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the first time I saw them, the, those two words together, punk rock, was uh, within a review of the Ramones. Quite quite a while before uh, anything over here, really. I yeah, mean, I think almost a year went by before the Sex Pistols and the Clash. I think so because you had Iggy yeah. Pop. You even oh, had well, the talk, Talking Heads. Seventy-five, I think, wasn't it? CBGB. Yeah, and the New York Dolls. They were got, all yeah, banging it Dolls. out at CBGBs, and we. And of course, and of course, Patty Smith. You know, there was uh, yeah. that's when I first heard the term punk poetry. Yeah. So you know, yeah, South Plan Pour Moi. Have you have you done anything with her? Have you ever performed on the same no, stage? Not me. No. We saw her perform at a festival in Kent, of all places. Yeah, uh-huh. it was about eight years ago. It was bizarre. It was it was called the Hop Farm Festival, and this particular lineup, Prince, was headlining in Kent. It was his only time he ever headlined in a festival in England, and and it was mental because there was just so few people in the audience. It, was, it wasn't like a Glastonbury. This okay. was like, you know, 5,000 or 8,000 people in a field in Kent. And, and the headline was, and he did a full-on two and a half hours, Patti Smith, uh, the Eagles, uh, Lou Reed, Brian Ferry, the Human League. They were all on the same bill this weekend. 
It's legendary. Look <laughs> here, what a lineup! I know. Yeah, they were all they were all out in force. And Patty Smith. Yeah, that's right. It was my one and only time I ever saw her. Much later on in her career, not that mad, but you know, she was still great. So look, so then you get distracted, and uh, you've you've now discovered punk, and you went to see the Sex Pistols up in Manchester, I believe, uh, yeah. with Slaughter and the Dogs, and and the was the Buzzcocks, yeah, 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 and then that was sort of it for you, was it? Yeah, you wanted yeah, to be in that gang. Yeah. Well, I was talking. I was talking into getting into it uh, full time by uh, Howard Devoto, who was then the uh, singer with the Buzzcocks. That's right. And, yeah. Uh, because I looked the part, you know, I was because uh, I, I looked kind of, I looked kind of anachronistic, even in the world of cabaret that I was trying to make it in. You know what I mean? I wasn't trying to make it in a rock and roll concept. I didn't really see it happening for me. Uh, I'm not a team player, you know, and even Patty Smith, punk poet though she was, had a full-time band. Great band, actually. Yeah. uh, But I was sort of trying to make it as this solo performer in the uh, unforgiving world of cabaret. Uh, But but even there was kind of a bit anachronistic. I'd seen this film called... uh, 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 again, movies. <laughs> uh, there was this film called The Small World of Sammy Lee, screenplay by uh, Keith Waterhouse and Willis Hall, and starring Anthony Newley. Anthony Newley. He was an influence on David Bowie. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, very much. You can you can hear it in his. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But uh, so I was sort of trying to make it like that. I thought, what a what a great way to make a living. You know, double books in the clubs of Soho, you know what I mean, uh, on a nightly basis. You know, living off your wits, really. So it looked, looked kind of romantic and that, even though he was in, under the cosh in the film, you know, it looked like the kind of life to aspire to. And uh, I thought, I, I, so I was kind of going for what I saw as the Manchester equivalent of that. So I was wearing like a, you know, a muddy suit, you know, uh, when, when even your, you know, elder relatives were now wearing flares and floral <laughs> I know. shirts. That was a difficult know. time, wasn't it? When they it started, yeah, time, I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it needed yeah. punk, didn't it? It needed something right, that, they, yeah. that they were going to hate. They, they were going to hate it so much, those grown-ups, that it, yeah, was, it was just perfect because there was no way they were going to start dressing like that. That's uh, it, exactly. Yeah. Well, I looked, so I looked, so I was already in there with the uh, the narrow trousers and the, sl- and the sl- slim lapels, three-button suit, short hair. <laughs> so I was sort of in there, uh, really, already, as, as, as was pointed out by, uh, as I say, Howard. And what, what a, like, your hair? To a lesser extent, his girlfriend, Linda Sterling. Linda Sterling, yeah. So did you end up... Hanging out with him, living with him, moving down no, south. No, no, not at all. No, I used to see. I just used to see him in the neighbourhood quite a bit. You know, they they they're the rehearsal space not far from where I lived, and you know, I would just see them at the shops and at various other people's gigs. You know, like uh, certain shows in the centre of town. He sort of liked what I. I did. I think he caught he caught my act at the uh, band on the wall, and he said, "You know, you should be you should be doing punk rock shows with us, Johnny. You know, you look the part, and people are very interested in lyrics." He, he was very quite arcane lyricist himself, uh, Howard. 
He wrote some great songs. Yeah. Well, the Buzzcocks um, were great. The, the Buzzcocks, terrific repertoire. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and you're right, lyrics became, well, it was all important. Oh, I suppose yeah, there was a divide, wasn't there? Was the, there was that sort of the one, two, three type Ramones or the Clash, the Sex Pistols, the Buzzcocks yeah. who were saying either, something. Either yeah. way, they were all saying something, yeah. If you look at some of Dee Dee's lyrics, they're in the Ramones, you know, we'll talk about gritty realism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, but always with a sense of fun. Yeah, no, definitely. So what was your first gig that you did where you'd say you were lining up with the punk lineup? Oh, well, uh, very early on, very early. You know, the, the Buzzcocks, the Buzzcocks, and generally shows that, uh, you know, because after that first Sex Pistols uh, show at the Lesser Free Trade Hall, quite a few separate uh, punk rock venues started opening up but there were never it was never a mass thing no punk you know, no it wasn't in London like Manchester you know it was, yeah. the, the clubs were never more than two, uh, 200 capacity yeah well it was you know kind I mean? of it would have spoiled it if it had gone into sort of like it stadiums would, yeah. wouldn't it it would have been ridiculous because yeah. the whole point of it was anti that um, the whole point of it was the intimacy and the, and the sort of slightly claustrophobic, overcrowded sort of atmosphere. And yeah. It's kind of, it really feeds into everything, that. And I was used to that, that the twisted wheel one in my mod years, you know. I mean, I saw, I saw Benny King in a room that only held 170 people. Oh, wow. Coming. Yeah. You know, and it was people hanging from the light fittings and, <laughs> you know, and it was, it, was, it was unbelievable. It fed into the occasion. Sensational night. I'll oh, never forget that. That is, people, that's... When you, see, when you see people like that in a small club, it's, it's just unforgettable. I was just saying I saw Iggy Pop in a tiny, tiny club. I was living in California. And he, and he came in, and I didn't know that he just, the minute he got on stage, just stripped off his shirt, and I felt <laughs> like I was I was right in the sweat there of it of yeah, yeah. him. You know, you couldn't avoid it. It was very, it was actually amazing, because he, then he, did, he threw himself into the crowd, and he didn't know where to touch, because he's all wet and sweaty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, nude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh. So, actually, it's quite funny, because uh, another bit out of your book, it says that some people ask you, was uh, were those early punk gigs nerve-wracking? And you said, nothing, yeah, but nothing you couldn't handle after, after the work in men's clubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I still stand by that. What, I mean, once the, go, the gobbin was the worst part. <laughs> the was, gobbin was disgusting. That, that was disgusting. Yeah. So I was glad when that went out of fashion. <laughs> I know. It, well, you know what? Whoever did the first gob, I suppose it was just part of that whatever is really nasty is punk. And that, that was pretty much it, wasn't it? Because it was yeah. revolting. And I used to sit next to a, girl, a guy um, in, when I was an apprentice at Atten Garden. This was in 76, 77. And um, his girlfriend worked for Chrysalis Records. And Chrysalis used to have a night once a week at the Marquee. And the lineup would be Blondie, Generation X and Merger or Black Slate. It would be it would like the, either one of the reggae bands. And yeah, they'd come out... There was a lot of reggae bands involved, yeah. weren't they? And, and they come out and, and 
Debbie Harry would come out and people would start popping and you're like, you've got to be kidding. And uh, the the ass. And so she'd go back in and say with Billy Idol, someone would come out and say, you've got to stop gobbing or they're not coming back. They'd come back, people would start gobbing again. Oh, my again. God. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, revolting. Terrible. Yeah. But Imagine it gobbing. Started, like, some, I think it was some, some no-brain music journalist who said it was a bad Giovanna or something, you know. Oh, so. Imagine doing that in the, in the age know. of Corona. <laughs> oh, terrible. Bloody awful. Bloody yeah. awful. I didn't do... I never did that. I never threw any bottles and I never pogoed. <laughs> uh, they were all, like, cliché things, weren't they? Yeah, I didn't mind a pogo. If you were in the right pit, a pogo was all right at the time. Uh, yeah, anyway. I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll I'll allow that. Okay, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't take it back now. <laughs> no. Now I've got to sort of move into our, a you and I, and I think, uh, so I'd seen you in 78. I then went to see you a couple of other times, not so many, because I moved to America in in 1980 and I didn't come back to 1989 so I kind of missed a lot of uh of everything that was going on in England unless unless people came over to California but um the next time I saw you you signed a book for me Uh, it was probably 10 years in an open neck shirt anyway you wrote in it Elvisly yours and I had no idea that you'd liked Elvis (laughs) I couldn't I couldn't work out why you'd written it That used to be the name of Elvis's fan club over here, actually. Oh, right. Which, right. which was run by a guy called Sid Shaw. Okay, right. I didn't know Sid that. Sid Shaw. They were based in Shoreditch back yeah. in the days when it was a cheap neighbourhood. Yeah, when you couldn't get a taxi to go there, that's for sure. And then I finally met you at the last night at the Hammersmith Palais. That's right, yes, yes. You were compare, I think. I was on that night. You were on, yeah, and uh, I think it was The Good, The Bad and The Queen, was it? I think the bands, yeah, maybe The Fall, I don't know. But anyway, it was was the last night and finally I've got to say hello to you and... uh, and that, I want to say, was the start of a really good friendship. It was amazing. You were, you were so easy to talk to. I didn't know why I thought you might not, but, you know, it's just one of those well, things. Well, you're a nice guy, Stephen. <laughs> you know, I, I, I pity the fool who wouldn't. <laughs> okay. And uh, that, that's, a long, so that's a long time before we met since you first seen me then yeah but during that 10 years or something yeah well more but I more 20 yeah it was nearly 20 but I I can tell you you know my wife Asia she's Russian I do and uh, I part of my you know my courtship with her was that I could recite your poems and fortunately her English wasn't her first language so to her it was just some of it she understood but the fact was it was poetry so I could I could literally sort of recite I married a monster from out space and she thought it was a romantic number so I want to thank I want to thank you for that (laughs) <laughs> Not at all, <laughs> so, um, so you were part of my life, even though I'd never met you. That that was how we met, and then you, you've been amazing. You've performed at my fiftieth, my sixtieth, 
My brother's 50. That's, that's right, haven't I? Yeah, you, and, and look, you don't look a day old. Ah, yeah. It's incredible. And what you, is it? You, can you, there's one poem by request I always get you to recite, which um, I notice is in uh, your latest book uh, of poems. It's, it's in there. I, I couldn't believe that it wasn't in another book. Maybe it is, but it's the Bed Blocker Blues. Oh, no, that's its only place, yeah. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, it hadn't occurred to yeah. me. Because that's a poem about, for those who don't know, about um, about getting old. That's it. And um, I, I love that poem because things that's can it. only get worse, nurse. Everybody knows that line. It's, it's, it sort of gets used in all sorts of contexts. Things can What's only get it? worse. Things are going to get worse, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yes. If, if, if ever there was a phrase you could use a thousand times a day. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> smelling of piss and biscuits, that's another one. But uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's so great. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you remember all the lyrics to my oh, because uh, I... I'm going to have to do a refresher course before I go back on tour. Well, you did, you did it. Uh, my 60th was last year, and you in my kitchen... You did a. Pre- oh, yeah, you did got there, pretty yeah. close to doing the whole thing, <laughs> which is not bad at your age. <laughs> um, uh, what was that? What was that gag I heard recently? Oh yeah, my wife ran off with the milkman. Watching them drive away was the most miserable four hours of my life. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Well, I tell you, when I hired you for my poetry and jewellery evening, you shook the yummy mummies of Notting Hill up quite a bit <laughs> with, with your poem about Alzheimer's and AIDS. <laughs> and oh, that one, yeah, yeah, that, that gag, yeah. Oh, that's terrific. I forgot all about yeah, that. Well, it was, it was amazing. Yeah, but... Because it was, it was a it was a jewelry evening in Notting Hill, which it, you know, as we know, is not the Notting Hill that you frequented in your book. It's uh, about the poshest part of of London now, and uh, yeah. they were all there for a jewelry and poetry evening, and uh, and you were the headline, and uh, you were brilliant, of course. But you told that joke, which I'd never heard before. And <laughs> it was, it, it was. Well, I was in the back. I was in tears, and uh, you just—it just killed everything in the room. You want to hear it now? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Go on then. Uh, guy sees his friend. He says, uh, "He says you're looking worried, uh, uh, Stuart." He says, "Howard, I'm very worried indeed." He says, uh, "But it's, it's the message. She's gone up the hospital. They've got her papers mixed up. They don't know whether she's got Alzheimer's." Or AIDS. He says, I'd appreciate any any advice you can give. He says, well, all I can think of is this. Take her for a drive in the country. Drop her off. And if she finds a way home, don't fuck her. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) It's still still outrageous. (laughs) But it's very funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell one, one of yours. A guy goes to have a medical examination. <laughs> and after about five minutes, the doctor says, um, 
I'm so sorry, Mr. Clark, but you're going to have to stop masturbating. And uh, Mr. Clark says, why? He says, because I'm trying to give you a medical examination. <laughs> anyway, they're both, uh, they're both from the same night. Yeah, yeah, yeah Mark. <laughs> last word on it. Ever since she found some hidden letters, my wife's accused me of cheating. She says she's never going to play Scrabble with me ever again. <laughs> Oh, no, you've got so it's clean. That's excellent. So it's clean. Like yeah. That's a, that is a great joke for a poet. It is, isn't it? It is. That's a poet's joke. Now you're a punk poet. You, you, you're on the scene. You're being name-checked internationally. Uh, so you're now famous as a poet, which is everything That's you right. ever it wanted. Punk, it was punk that made that happen. That's why it was such a good move to move into the world of punk rock, like, and you know, taking Howard's advice on that because it punk, punk rock, you know, small though it was, you know, you know, it wasn't many people, as I say, but uh, but it was, and it did have an international reach. Yes, definitely. He you did. know, Vivian, Vivian's and Malcolm's clothes got on the catwalks of Paris, France. You know, there was that transatlantic New York, London kind of thing you, going on. You know what? <laughs> I went with Mick to the 40th anniversary of London's calling at the Museum of um, London. Did you go? I can't remember. Yeah, I went to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's really right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and, you know, you think 40 bloody years and... And the the influence on on everything it seems like you know has been so massive, hasn't it? From that short period that really was punk, it was like two years and a few players. Yeah, disproportionate in many ways, but that's the nature of mythology, isn't it? You know, it has a life of its own. And and you know what? what? And it is an area that's rich in mythology. Isn't it? Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. It mythologized itself as yeah. it was happening. Yeah, yeah, but but the fact that it's never been naff. You you, no, you know, like right. I I remember going to meet up with um, uh, at the time the creative director at Burberry, and and he, he was his Burberry, you know, and uh, yeah. and he had punk books everywhere and I'm like wow what you what, oh you know it was his new collection like this is going to be inspired by punk and this was right. probably like eight years ago or something but it can keep coming back and it can keep oh, getting yeah. reinvented and it's just all it symbolizes is some sort of a bit of anger a bit of frustration Absolutely. a bit of you know oh, a raw it's energy proof. yeah yeah it's naff proof naff proof I like that it's naff proof. It, it's got such a strong look. Yeah. And it's always being revisited as much as mod has been. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's one of those sort of, it's, it's always, it's never really going to go away. It's, it's, it, 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 right, right from the start, it was so visually striking. Yeah. Wasn't it? You yeah. know what I mean? It was, a, it was, a, it was a, a complete sensual assault. And I think you were... Like you said, you, you kind of, you, you've introduced through a band that had been around for a bit and then you go to see the Sex Pistols, then you're right, the next thing is you're on stage with 
you know, buzz cocks, etc. And, yeah. and I think I remember myself being at Chris Hill. Chris Hill was at, he was a DJ that played a lot of, of rare groove and American import mu- music in Essex, oh, actually, right. in the late, in the, the gold mine in Essex. And, uh, and then he played, uh, um, Sex Pistols and he, he smashed it. He, he smashed it and, and he said, you'll never hear that shit in one of my clubs ever again. I'm like, hang on a minute. <laughs> that, that was amazing. And yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just about, to, I was in my school holiday, about to start art school. So it was like just the perfect moment. You know, that was sort of 76, August of 76. You think, oh, okay, this is it now. I went yeah, yeah. to art school as a punk. And there, there was, I wasn't before, I would have gone as a sort of southern soul boy. But um, yeah. Precisely, yeah. yeah. So I get yeah. that. So you, I want to say you were busy, right? You were busy. You're bringing out albums, Disguising Love. You've got several things on the go. You're touring like crazy. Um, things were looking pretty good. But you also had another problem, right? You had a, a heroin addiction, um, yeah. which ended up really affecting everything, didn't it? As you might expect, but... Um, As you might expect, yeah, yeah. So, I've never heard anybody say, uh, and, and things went great from that point <laughs> on. <laughs> Why didn't I do this years ago? Oh, my God. That is <laughs> actually, brilliant. I it years ago. That should be what they should tell you when you go to one of them rehabs. Yeah, this is great. There's no turning back. I know, but... But you kind of managed it. Look, Johnny, I didn't well, I know you at that time. I, I, when I met you, you was well, clean, sober, the Johnny that we know and love today. But it must have been shit as well. I can only well, it imagine. Was, it, it was, it was, yeah, well, it was. It was very It made life very, very difficult when it should have been getting easier. It, you know, it yeah. just got more and more, uh, you know, more and more uh, difficult. But... Uh, um, but also, it made me very reliable. You know, I always needed money. You know, yeah. and uh, I was I was really Mister Reliable. I hear stories about it. You know, people repeat things about what happened in my power. Oh, you were really. I, I don't know why I had this reputation for being unreliable because uh, you know, if if anybody was, I was like a puppet on a chain. Yeah. You know, uh, good song as well. That I, I was, I was always that good song. Yeah. <laughs> as, as Sandy Shaw always yeah. sang at the uh, Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it, we. I suppose you. It appears that you were functioning. Well, that's it. I made sure of that, you know, because if there was one thing, there was no mileage. As there, is, there was no mileage in having any kind of reputation as a as a, as a narcotic dependent uh, no. person. There was no mileage at all. You know, life could only get uh, worse. Worse, yes. It was widely known. Yeah. So if you look at pictures of me from that time, you know, it's a you know a, a crisp white shirt. You know what I mean? You know, I look like I've just come out of the barbers, and uh, you know. The, <laughs> wow. Look like a junkie. The, the only time uh, I, I think I really sort of it was a bit. It was a little bit the gobbing and a little bit for ease of maintenance. But for a while, I sort of lived in a in a leather jacket. Right. Which which was kind of aberrant for me. I'm you know I'm a kind of uh, you know luxurious. So not not a guy. leather kind <laughs> of blazer style. 
Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember. But um yeah, so and then it then it got really bad, but then you uh you did manage to get yourself into a rehab, a five star one first, which is quite funny some of the things you talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but, yeah. yeah, that was I wouldn't have missed that for the world, you know, <laughs> but I, but but I put, uh, I put, I, it's the only time in my life I've ever put weight on. <laughs> that was exactly yeah, gained, the line I'm looking at. Two stone in, in three months. I, 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 couldn't, I, couldn't leave, I couldn't leave the clinic on so, account of uh, the clothes I went in it. <laughs> Martini with three olives being a square meal to five square meals a day. Five square meals a day, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know, it was I a top dollar restaurant, really good. I know. <laughs> and when I read that, I was laughing my head off. Because uh, I wondered if that was when you wrote Get Back on the Drugs, You Fat Bastard. <laughs> yeah, it should have been. That's a retroactive poem, yeah. So, yeah, that's so, taken me 40 years or something, right? <laughs> it is a very accurate uh, I know. Uh, depiction yeah. of, uh, of uh, what happened back then, yeah. So, I think... You know, we we kind of addressed that the, the you know your addiction and your recovery as slow as that may have seemed at the time. I'm yeah, sure it yeah. did in and out a bit, and then you you Nico entered your life, which I think when I first found out about that, I was like, what? I couldn't even possibly think that you got this sort of a factory girl stroke. Uh, you know, Velvet Undergrounder yeah. is now living with uh, you. Um, yeah, but it was sort of, circumstance was was not necessarily romantic, was it? Well, it wasn't helpful for, <laughs> <laughs> for my new regime. No, I, I know. It, 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 it wasn't helpful in that regard. But in other ways, you know, it was, uh, it was really, she was no trouble at all. It was, you know, it was nice. <laughs> yeah, in other well, ways. She, she seemed like she made her mark on on wherever she was. By the sound, yeah, of it. that's right. Yeah, yeah. she was a, well. She was a very solitary type person, really. You know, very self-contained. As you can imagine, I mean, you know, when she was involved with Andy Warhol and the Velvet Underground and whatnot, yeah. uh, uh, she did so as a, as a single, a solo person, a long way from home. Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely agree. I, I, um, you know, must have been really interesting. Could not be, I think, with that background. That's right. Yeah, there's got to be something going on there. That's for sure. And and I think you, you know, through through the pulling power of poetry, you, 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 over the years, you've you've surrounded yourself with some quite interesting women, haven't you? This this woman, Babe, I'd never heard of her before reading the book. Is it Who's Babe? B E B E. Oh, B B. B Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Of course it is. It's B B. Yeah. <laughs> no, it could have been Babe. It could have been. Yeah. But anyway, so she looks like a character as well. And, yeah, B B uh, Buell. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she was a, again another very uh, independent uh, uh, woman. And then yeah. Sandra, who possibly invented the kissogram. That's right, yeah, she's still around, Sandra, I think. Still living in London anyway. Good. So that period moves on and then Evie enters your life 
obviously as, as unconventionally as everybody else, I suppose, you were playing a gig in her town, right? That's right. And unconventional is right because we met on the uh, Friday the thirteenth. Oh, okay. Well, so, that was good. So that's my lucky. That's my lucky day. Yeah, but I, that's my lucky day. I was born on the thirteenth. Yeah. On a Friday. I, I don't know. Actually, I should know, shouldn't I? But anyway, it doesn't okay. matter. Let's just say yes. We, we'll, <laughs> we'll have some artistic license. But the, no, I meant the fact that you were playing in the town. She'd come to see you. She says she couldn't understand a word of what you said. That's and me, then, yeah. then you end up sleeping on her floor. <laughs> because yeah, her mate asked you. Room, yeah. That's you right, just... yeah, but we kept in touch beyond that. The yeah. longest courtship in history. I know, I love it. And, uh, you know, we know you both. And, of course, your daughter, Stella. And uh, you're like a nuclear family now. You're like, oh, it's so great. Explosive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. Anyway. No, 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 no. It's, it's far from it. Far well, from it. So. Okay, but um, it's I think it's a demilitarized zone, if anything. Yeah, <laughs> and that's lovely. You're still in the same house where she was when you met. How many years ago was that? Oh, uh, when me, me and Eden about yeah. eighty-six. Yes. Yeah, so your life now, you know, um, whatever it was before. Um, you know, you've sort of played, you've headlined at the Palladium, the Queen Elizabeth Hall, you've done yeah. Vegas, you, you do world tours. This is an amazing period of your life. The last, what, I say 10 or 15 years, is that? Or, or you tell us. Well, the, be the best ever. Yeah. It's the best ever now. I mean, you know, the, 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 what with modern communications, I've got far more uh, far more fans than than I used to have. It's amazing, no, no doubt about it. And th there is no there is no unifying quality in in my fan base either. You know, I, I meet them a lot as I tour the world, and uh, there is no typical kind of person that likes my stuff. It's just humanity miscellaneous. Yeah. How brilliant you know? is that, though? Because, you know, very few, if any, bands would be able to claim that. You exactly. know, that, that they wouldn't. You're dead right there, Stephen. You're dead right. Who, who can really claim that? Yeah. It's amazing, isn't I, it? I mean, but you're... That's, but that's, I think that is to do with the special place that people have for poetry. Uh, you know, uh, it's a, I know it's, a, a, it's seen as a minority pursuit and and everything, but but it is the one thing, the one art form that I think everybody's given it a go. Do you think everybody's written a written a poem once? Do you least. think there's more opportunity for a spoken word now? Okay, oh, I'm not. I'm not going to compare it to Salford when you were there, but like just in general, in in popular culture. Yeah, there's just more. There are more. Uh, there are more areas where you might find it. You know what I mean? Whereas before, when I started out, really, it was you got published. That was it. You, you got published, and you had a few admirers here and there, and. That was the, the extent of it, really. And you, so no, no wonder my dad didn't see it as being a, <laughs> a lucrative, <laughs> you know. 
He would, he would be proud of you now. I the, think he, well, now he would be convinced. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's amazing. Look, I, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm a big fan. So I, you know, but oh, my whole family you. are. You, my oh. whole family are your fans. That goes from 21 to 61. You know and, what I'm saying? Uh, that's, that's absolutely right. You know, uh, that, and that covers a lot of ground. And you know what? A 21-year-old wouldn't pretend that they like something. No, not at all. <laughs> no, that's right. Not at all. No. No, people, the people I meet are wonderful. So um, I've just got, to, I'm going to share one more story. I think I told you, but I can't remember. So last year I was on a road trip and it was one, it was my, our European adventure. So we normally do them in America, but we were driving from my front door on the White Cliffs of Dover to Portugal and I'm in Lisbon and we, we were out looking for a place and, and we, there was some signs of life in an upstairs room and we went up and it was a poetry evening. It was Portuguese poetry and uh, people were standing up and then people would applaud and there was a little bar. Anyway, from the back, I did Salome Maloney and the whole room, right, the whole room just uh, turns around and I got a standard ovation. Wow! <laughs> and, I, and everybody was in their 20s. And my friends who were with me, they went, that was amazing. <laughs> Get out of it. I'm not kidding you. It was extraordinary. Yeah. My friend is Australian. He filmed it and he said, I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> I left the building as soon as I finished. I went outside. I thought I was so kind of embarrassed that I thought this, this, I could get things thrown at me. But no, got standing ovation. So I thank you again wow, for that. Wow, sensational, Stephen. <laughs> Thanks very much. I've got one show out there and it was really good, actually. Yeah, we had the time of our lives there. Yeah. I came back with I came back with a suitcase full of sardines. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> and they're in, they're in beautiful boxes, aren't they? Yeah, they the are. Pa yeah, the packaging are. is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Did you do the same then? Well, yeah, of course you do. I mean, you I can't not. Like a, I love a, I love a canned sardine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got one of my friends. You've met him actually. He's American, and he came to one of your gigs. Uh, on the night he arrived in England and uh, you were playing in Greenwich and I said to him, look, Jeff, you're probably not going to understand anything. He understood <laughs> everything. He was he was pissing himself in the aisles. Right, he's a big sardine fan, right? So <laughs> when, I, when I go to Portugal, I always have to come back with a load of sardines for him. Yeah. Omega. Yeah. Full of anyway. it, full of Omega. So look, um... You've been bloody fantastic. I know that we could go on and on and on, but you know what? It's not fair on anybody. But um, but I think I want to thank you. You you're not you've been you've been like a gold mine, yeah yeah for gold digging and uh, and you're definitely a solid gold geezer. So uh, yeah. Thanks a lot, kid. Well, thank you so much. Not at all. Lovely talking to you, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Well, it always is. And I, I look forward to when we have one of our excellent weekends together again oh, down at the me, coast. I can't wait. Yeah. I can't wait.